I'm Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360, the podcast that unlocks the power of purpose to ignite business and social impact. Often on Purpose 360, we invite guests to talk about their CSR strategies and programs, corporate social responsibility. Well, today we're going to turn that acronym on its head. C R and S. And that stands for climate, resiliency, and sustainability. Joining me is Alistair McGregor, Senior Vice President of Property and Buildings for WSP USA. WSP USA is a subsidiary of WSP Global, one of the world's leading engineering and professional services firms with nearly 150,000 active projects around the globe. WSP thrives on solving sustainability problems for business, public sector, and not-for-profit clients. And they approach them with a view of what is created today must perform in a world that's going to be very different in 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years, and more. You may have heard of some of their projects. The Salesforce Tower, One World Trade Center, the Moynihan Train Hall in New York City. It's gorgeous. I've been through it. It's really supportive of the traveler. They also have a philosophy called Future Ready, and Ali's going to talk about that. But he's also going to talk about the book that he helped write for WSP that just came out earlier this year called Future Ready. So join me for this discussion of CRNS. So welcome to the show, Allie. Thanks, Carol. And, and just uh, as you just said, so it's Ali unless I'm in trouble. So hopefully I'm, <laughs> so hopefully I'm Ali for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be fine. This is going to be a great conversation. So we always like to start by asking you about your background and your journey to WSP. Oh, great. So thanks. Um, I am based in Southern California, but as you can tell from my accent, I am <laughs> not from Southern California. So, not at all. Uh, and, and I took a slightly unusual route to, to WSP. Um, it started back in Scotland, where I'm from. Uh, I worked in software development. I worked for a soccer agent um, who would argue he was a Scottish Jerry Maguire. I worked in finance. But then I, I quickly realized that my passion was for delivering high-performance solutions to complex problems. And in, and, and in in essence, I realized that I just had to embrace the fact that I was an engineer. I, you know, my, my mom would look back now and say, we could have told you that when you were five, but that took me a little bit longer to kind of get there. But I came over to, to the US in, in 04 um, and I've had the fortune uh, of being involved in some fantastic projects, working some with some amazing kind of, uh, kind of visionary designers over the years that have allowed me to push the boundaries and, and create some real world firsts. Uh, and I even created an iPhone accessory that was featured on the Today Show. So I've done some unusual things that uh, that just demonstrate that I kind of I'm not your traditional engineer, and it's all about challenging the complex problems and coming up with things differently. So I joined WSP just over a year ago. I joined because I realised that to make a dent on some of the toughest and most complex problems that we're seeing in the world today. I need to be part of a team that that brought together the technical uh, expertise and the innovative thinking 
to those problems. I just want to talk a little bit more about who WSP is, because if you're not looking for your services or you're involved in, in big engineering projects, you don't know them, but the company is extraordinary. You are literally building the future in more than 500 cities. And so um, can you just explain a little bit more about the range of your services? Yeah, so, so you know, at WSP, we, we are driven by that technical expertise, as you're talking about, Carol. So we will have, you know, urban designers and planners. We'll have civil engineers, transportation engineers in the built environment. Where I, when I, where I focus, we have structural, civil, mechanical, electrical, sustainability experts. We have acousticians. I, I see it more as being, as more as being a chef. Or, or being stuck in a kitchen, right? So we have the most fantastic set of ingredients in our kitchen. But, but we're not a Michelin five-star chef. So it's less about us as it is about the solutions that we create. And I love that at your core, part of your ethos is that it's not just building a building or a bridge or, or, or renovating a train hall or something. Because you look at the climate impacts from every single area, the human impacts, the societal impacts. So I want to go back to some of the basics because our listeners may not understand this. You hear the term built environment a lot. Can you explain that in, in a fairly simple way, what a built environment is? It's the communities we live in. Uh, and what I mean by that, if, if you, in, in many cases, the the parts that are most important and most impactful in our communities are not the buildings. It's the spaces between them. Mm. Okay. Uh, all right. Also, I'd love to know, what is a smart building? A smart building is one where uh, all of the digital technologies within that building are connected and uh, are theoretically made available to optimize its performance and its engagement with its people. I personally believe that what my teams and what I charge them to do is that it's less about a smart building. It's more about creating a connected building that can be driven and empower smart people. So it's, it, it's less about the basically building going off and doing its own thing. It's more about how does people engage with it? How do people pull information from it and you know become a data source? And it's, it's, it's more collaborative. WSP has won a lot of awards. And now many of our clients, they chase the awards. It's really, you know, they proudly put them in their lobbies at HQ. But you're different because these awards and they are very, they're quite different. So congratulations, you just won um, Fortune Change the World Award, and that was only given to 59 companies. Um, you were ranked as number 37. That's extraordinary. So that's a great award. But then you also won, and I love this one, uh, Fast Company is one of the brands that matter. And so, you know, usually it's like a sneaker or food or something like that. But no, it was WSP. So that was a great one. And then Time Magazine is one of the world's best companies and Corporate Nights in Canada because you are a Canadian headquartered um, in, in Quebec company, but you are massively global. Can you talk a little bit about the purpose of WSP that is fueling these impressive accolades, but really the way you do business? Thanks, Carol. I mean, it's, as you write, some of those awards, we're, we're humbled to be part of those lists. Um, but I think what's happening in, in many of these things is we're, we're getting past the smoke and mirrors. And when you, and you actually look, and these, they're becoming more informed. What does it mean? And, and I think people are realizing that a, a, a brand like WSP 
who is touching the built environment in my case and and all you know the transport and infrastructure around the world has significant impact and it's you know and therefore we have that responsibility to to kind of to really lead in in the space and and if to your point on on what is our purpose well there's it's been commented and, and, and talked about in multiple different ways right and uh, i think this idea of of being future ready future proofing our cities and communities going forward is kind of where we're where we kind of it all comes down in a really kind of tight way but if, if you step back you know to our let's say local beginnings about 130 years ago it's crazy it's, it, the, the the original kind of firms that become wsp are, are getting that old all the way to where we are today as this as this global consulting firm Every milestone that we've reached has enabled us to better fulfill, you know, our purpose, which I could say, you could arguably say is is preparing our communities and environments for the future. And you know, climate is at the center of so much of what you do. It is not a bolt on; it is totally lived and and built. And it's it's really again your lifeblood. It is, and I think that's the bit that's interesting, right? So, as as I said earlier, right, that you know, our purpose is not about becoming the biggest or having the the largest global reach. That's an enabler of where we want to go. It is about our people. So, our purpose is about you know connecting those passionate people, united by that common purpose. You know, the creating the positive, long lasting impacts in our communities, right? That are you know, and we get there because it's about fostering that culture of innovation, technical excellence, and. Uh, Candidly, the respect for a different point of view that you'd inherently get from the different lenses we have in the business. When, when you, if you, if you look at uh, the climate, you know that's that's a great example, and the changes we're seeing in the climate are a great example of the complex challenges where we flourish. And I think we first thing we can say is there is definitely a new normal, and the new normal is that uh, it is really built around this need to embrace uncertainty. It means that. You know, every single one of our clients has to reevaluate whether the way they've done business or they've, you know, developed their community historically is if they continue going that route, whether it's going to cut it or whether they have to step back and think differently. And so, what's really interesting is our our, uh, our structural and civil teams are working with ASCE on their Future World Vision project which is about creating an immersive idea, you know, in the VR and stuff around what the city of tomorrow would look like. And what's wonderful in that space is it allows our teams and our clients to think about, to ask ourselves, what would I be doing differently in making this decision if the world that I was in looked like this? That's great. I mean, what a magnet for talent. I don't want to go any farther without giving our listeners a few examples of some of uh, some really exciting um, projects in the United States, and if you will also want to mention global, but one that really delighted me, and this is a little, I think it was 2020, but it's the Net Zero McDonald's that you built. And as I was studying it, we started working with you, I, I was down in Disney World, I don't know, like six months later, and I was lost. <laughs> I was trying to like find a hotel or whatever. And all of a sudden, there was the McDonald's. The one that you built. So, can you can you explain what that one is? Because that's really interesting. The Donald's one is 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 a great project, Carol. Because essentially, you've got a building where McDonald's challenged the design team. Where we were fortunate to be, you know, one of the you know, the engineering team on that to uh, to go back to basics and say if we were to really drive for a net zero McDonald's, 
what could that be? What would it look like? And you end up with a building which uh, is fully electrified, creates all of its energy on site. There is um, maximizing use of daylight so that we're creating, you know, and is, is using kind of passive ventilation approaches to make sure that the air quality is really, really strong. But it's funny that, that, that you kind of latched onto that one because it, it does look visually stunning. It's a really unique building. And there's a key part and a responsibility in that building to, to educate people. And the fact that it's in Disney World means that people from all across the country, across the world, have a chance of popping in there and getting a burger. But while they're there, there's things in that space that are going to educate them with the fact that the, the burger's being cooked. By, on a solar power grill, essentially. You know, it's like they get their burger, their fries, and a side of education and sustainability and what's possible. But, but Carol, the bit that I find most exciting about that is the fact that it's, there's, I think there's over 14,000 McDonald's across the United States. And so uh, in terms of the projects that we work in, it, it, that's a great example of something where as it scales and it gets put in other places, it's not just, you know, one big iconic project which might win a couple of awards. It's about things that become personal in people's local communities. Yeah, because it's, it's far too easy to point at the big shiny object of here's the X billion dollar, you know, you know, Lee Platinum building because people say, that's lovely, beautiful. I'm not going to be able to get into that tower block to see what it's like because I haven't got a security pass. So they don't engage with it. But if we, if, if, so therefore, you know, people don't sleep, people see sustainability as exotic. So imagine if every community across the United States had an electric, an all electric hospital. If the fast food restaurants were all embracing what McDonald's was doing, you know, and, and they were going to see a sports team that was elite platinum and driving all these things, people would realize that the new normal of driving towards kind of decarbonization, it's not scary. It's stuff or far away. It's things we can do now. And that the idea of future ready does have a path to future now. I'm glad you mentioned future ready because when we first met and you talked about that was a philosophy of the company and then it became a book. So if you can first talk a little bit for our listeners about what does future ready mean, talk about the philosophy first and then we're going to get into the book. I've grown up in a design world, in a consulting world my whole, my whole life. And it's really easy for a consultant just to do what you're asked. And if a client, they've defined the scope of their ask and they come to us and they ask us. So we realize that because of who we are, because of, of how we engage and the conversation we have around the globe with some of these really, truly forward thinking clients, that we had that responsibility to challenge just taking the Oliver Twist role and saying, thank you very much and, and moving on. And, but we also realized that if we just asked a client cold, about whether we should be designed to net zero or we should kind of electrify their buildings again in my space. Um, the, the, the typical knee-jerk reaction would be something like, well, you know, it's a great concept. We'd love to do it, but unfortunately, we don't have the budget. So the way we kind of look at it is, well, okay, if we wanted to kind of challenge this idea of future ready, it's about recognizing that we, we don't necessarily have to push everything as being future now, as it being today and immediate, you know, on our clients, which becomes scary in that first conversation, but that we need to take them on a journey. We need to be their partner that starts with that engagement and then, you know, everything builds towards getting to a point where they are, you know, they're, they're engaging and considering resiliency, climate and, and sustainability in their, in their 
strategic approaches to their business and that we're enabling that in the built environment to help them get there. I challenge our teams often to, to make sure that we position ourselves that our clients realize that first and foremost, we're there to understand their business and to develop built environments that are in support of that business. So it's about us understanding their business, not just their buildings or their built environment. I want to now go to the book, Future Ready. So, um, you know, it's a great book and our listeners should absolutely read it. But I want to read a couple of reviews. Um, they're on the they're on the jacket cover. First of all, the word keeps coming up timely, timely, timely because of the climate challenges we have. So Future Ready, one of them said a vision for doing resiliency right. I really like that one. Then another one said a compelling account for an organization's journey to rethink everything and coalesce around this future ready philosophy to bring sustainability, resilience, and climate action to the heart of organizations. So congratulations on the book. And let's talk a little bit about the genesis of it, because you had just joined the company and a book is daunting. But what was your journey like? So what was interesting, Carol, is that uh, you're right. I just I literally just joined WSP. And just as our earlier in the conversation, you know, WSP is this immense kind of uh, talent, you know, pool. And so I was was really keen to learn about all the amazing things that 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 my uh, that, that the teams across WSP are doing. So I was, and I was fortunate enough that that uh, there'd been a conversation starting about what should you know the, the idea of taking a few trains a book, and and they said, Ali, we'd love to get you engaged as be part of this. And I was like, use me, coach. I'm fresh. Let me learn. What's interesting about you know why it was becoming a conversation, Karen? Why I was really excited around the, the idea of timely. Is you know if you you talked about a number of, of stats earlier. I, I went onto Amazon yesterday and I, I searched, and there's over twenty thousand books on Amazon on climate. There are over a thousand on resilience and over ten thousand on sustainability. So the topic's not new, or each of those individual topics are not new. But I think if I was to put in a search that had the three together, the number just shrinks. Because everyone's got their swim lane of where they look. So there's a lot of fantastic information. Uh, there's a lot of valid arguments, right? The, you know, it's the seriousness of the, of the, the situation we're in, the, the importance of sustainability, of climate change. The question I kept asking myself was, why weren't people getting it? We, you go to you go to uh, you know the, the various sustainability kind of conferences and and the sustainability of our, uh, experts were were in violent agreement and would talk passionately about the seriousness of the situation, but it wasn't sticking in all of the client C suites and through their organisations, and you would get a real difference between corporate commitment and what was actually happening on on the ground. So, what we challenged ourselves was well. One of the things that makes WSP is, or makes us unique as a, as a partner to, to some of our clients is that uh, we can help them in the strategy work, but that we can also help them implement it once the strategy is there so that the strategy isn't just going to become a really nice kind of uh, doorstop that sits in the office. As we kind of, we, we stepped up uh, in that leadership role, we said, let's, let's, let's look at this differently and let's, let's see what the commonality, and what we found was in many ways, the challenge was, 
people were still seeing it as somebody else's problem. Ah, okay. So Future Ready as a book had one goal, right? And that really was to capture both the strategic side and that process developing strategy, but also the ways in which to we'd look to operationalize them in a way that makes it personal to the readers. So that really what so and the way it tied back to me learning about our business is the book is full of examples of where we've done it before. The projects we've completed, how we've tackled different things. Again, go back to what I said earlier, to make sure that people realize this is this is not about exotic kind of technologies. It's about things we've got we've got available to turn down. We can make significant impact. You made a really important comment. You've done it also in interviews and such. Make sustainability personal. Can you elaborate upon that? Because, you know, there's so many challenges to like, well, does the general population really understand the the impact? What is it today? What's the impact tomorrow? Obviously, we've had fires and floods and earthquakes and such, but why make it personal? Why is it so important? It helps people realize that it's something that's it's impacting us today. It's not necessarily just about something that's hypothetical that's going to impact our children or our grandkids. So as you if you if you open the book, my my co-author starts the book talking about his you know his personal experience in, in Hurricane Sandy. It's something that we have to embrace today. And by making it personal, it's making it personal to the individual, to the company, to the city. And make it part of who, you know, as we form all of those and, and, and developing who they want to be going forward and making sure that they're future ready. Where it gets fun, Carol, is that um, we don't know, you know, that there's lots of variation of where that future is going to be. So it's about being agile. It's about being flexible. But there, there, there are still certain strategies that we could do right now um, that, uh, that, that, that are going to set us up in a, in, a, in a good way for a number of those futures. Our listeners have to buy the book so they can uh, find their personal connection. And I love that it is it is not CSR, my colleagues. It is CRS, and it's Climate, Resiliency, and Sustainability. Can you talk a little bit about resiliency and why? what does it look like in both for climate success, if you can have success addressing climate issues, and also for people and for your, you know, your, your employees, your colleagues, but also your clients? What does resiliency mean and why is it important? So here's the first thing, Carol, I'll say is that while climate is one of the potential impact or the potential uh, events, and it's the one that as people talk about resilience or resiliency, that this jumps straight to mind. It's not the only one. In terms of, of, of what a future-ready client or entity looks like that is focused on resilience, it is one that is thinking through that scenario planning process, reacting in advance or having a plan in advance as to how they would respond if such a thing would happen. It's like a GPS in your car. Because in many ways, the idea of getting to a, um, a climate resilient uh, solution where it doesn't matter if, you know, if, if there's a, a storm or, you know, that there's a flood, that, that your facility, your business, your, as, a, as, an, as a client entity is, is able to maintain its, its operations and keep its people safe, that, you know, like the GPS, the easy and the obvious way from A to B is on the freeway, right? It's the big kind of pay a big bunch of money and get there. But in reality, there's going to be times as we get there that you have to take us, you know, take the detour on the, on the surface streets to, to kind of, to get to where you're, you're kind of looking. So 
you know, from a robustness perspective, it could also be looking into this idea of of responsiveness. It could be looking at the idea of how quickly it gets back up on its feet. It might be okay if, if the lowest floor of your building floods, as long as it's not critical to operations and you can clean and get moving fast. So it's about, it's about thinking a little bit differently. What is a future-ready mindset? What is a future-ready mindset? I think it goes back to this idea, Carol, that the future is not set, that what we've done in the past is likely not going to suffice in the world in which we are living in tomorrow, and that we have to embrace the unknown, and and we we need to think and think differently in terms of how we evaluate decisions. We have to think through the idea that it's a future-ready mindset, again, is, is one that embraces a responsibility today to set ourselves up for tomorrow and not use excuses that it's based on exotic technologies or something that we do tomorrow. So personalize it, operate, you know, show the operational impacts, et cetera, make it more, especially for the non-technical C-suite individuals who have to manage and project the future, but the future is not exactly yeah, projectable. Exactly. So if you look, it's just, so future mindset is embracing that it's a responsibility of that C-suite today or as us as consultants to help them get there, that, that they have to think through those strategies kind of going forward. And we have to, we have to start thinking through now. And what's interesting, Carol, if you look in Europe right now, they've just put in the legislation that, again, going back to this idea of, of being more informed in the carbon, in the resiliency, in the climate space, that there's, it's not, it's not appropriate, it's not allowed to call yourself net zero if all you're doing is writing a big check for offsets. So there's an awareness. I think that's a big a big change that's happened in the market recently in terms of, of kind of megatrends. Is I would say there's a growing awareness of what it means to be carbon credible and that we're beyond the point where, where it's like someone can just call themselves, you know, sustainable or resilient or embracing climate. It's like, well, what does that mean? It's about operationalizing the strategies. It's interesting. I love what you said. Growing awareness of being carbon credible because in the way back when, in the cause marketing world where companies would take on an issue, and for example, breast cancer, um, breast cancer in the beginning, it was, and we worked with Avon and they had a very, very credible support of breast cancer around the globe. It became over a billion dollars in early detection and such. But then the month kept getting pinker and pinker and pinker and pinker and pinker. And we call that pink washing. So I, I love the fact that you're talking about carbon credible and, and you're right. And, and Europe's leading a lot of the, the, the regulation that is now impacting I, the U.S. What do you think? I'm going to put you on the spot again here. What do you think of Gavin Newsom since you're in California uh, <laughs> <laughs> of the, the laws about um, that he is putting onto companies? Uh, what do you think of that? So there's, there's actually a very exciting change in the California building codes coming in middle of next year, which is going to challenge our people to think about embodied carbon differently. Now, that's a, that's a huge difference, Carol, because I would offer, even though we talk about buildings being 50 to 100-year buildings, compared to buildings in Europe that have been around for hundreds of years, that's still almost a disposable approach to the built environment. And if we actually look at this idea of, of um, you know, how would, if we've already got a building, how could, you know, and that sort of, do we demo, do we start from new? How do we make sure that we are, for the carbon that we're already emitting or we have emitted, that we're not adding it for the sake of it? 
California has always been in that space of of being bold in terms of of how it is challenging the the, the design and the construction market to get there. Now the, the the good news is their process for doing that has already to get to this point has confidently shown that the steps that they're taking are economically viable. That's important on that side, right? So um, that then allows California to continue to lead the charge. The other aspect, as you talk about kind of Governor Newsom, it's about the, the, the stuff that's going through the state Senate right now around reporting of carbon performance for, for businesses of significant size. I think what we'll find is the majority of companies that fall into that category of a billion dollars or enough are probably already doing it for other aspects. What will happen, I, I, I can lead to deal in a little bit more, is to if, if they're asking for specifics of what's happening in California or it's their expectation of, of what they're doing corporately. Well, it's a, that's a little bit parallel to what the Business Roundtable did when they declared that companies had an obligation to serve stakeholders, not shareholders. And the almost all of the companies, the 200 leading in this country, said we're already doing it. But they codified it to try and just make a statement of those leaders to then scale to other organizations. I want to know about your specific leadership secrets. You know, you've got all these incredible individuals you're bringing together to look at the white space, not the specific, but what the magic's in between the white space of all the disciplines. What what are your leadership one or two, three principles for anyone who's trying to come up with innovative, complex, you know, solutions to complex challenges. I mean, I think you said earlier, right? It's it's about being that kind of band leader. It's about getting people excited. I mean, my role in many ways is to get people excited, to show passion, to 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 bring passion to a conversation which is infectious, that makes people comfortable in in going outside their comfort zone. We need to be bold. We need to think around performance. What are we trying to achieve? I see it's part of my role is, to, is as a translator. It's about that translator of and the translation between technical experts and let's say business or community experts who speak differently and they speak in different languages. They have a common goal, but there's a translation needed to get them both on the same page. So that, that, that's, that's a big part of what I, I, I see my role as being. Wow. So uh, first of all, you're going to be inundated by people who want to talk with you about, hey, how do I do this? So you'll have to prepare for that. I always love to give the last comment to my guest. And I know that you and I could talk a lot more about specific projects. I know a lot about your specific projects and they're very cool. But the mic is over to you, Allie. Um, what you'd like to leave with our listeners. It's been a brilliant view into climate, resiliency, sustainability, and how to make it personal. But what are some last thoughts? Very, very simply, I would offer to anyone that's intrigued by this is find that partner to help you. You don't have to be an expert. If you go back to, as you said, future, future ready, my view in the world, it really is the fact that we can take sustainability, resilience, climate, we can integrate that into the core vision, you know, for your company, for your city, for your community. And if, if, you, if you do that, you can come up with fantastic solutions that allow your community to be resilient, your business to be resilient kind of moving forward. It doesn't have to be an add-on or a bolt-on. It can be a holistic solution that's a true win-win. Super. But I love your, your diverse background, and it seems like you've found your place. 
Now, in terms of architecting a resilient, climate-focused, and sustainable future. So we are very, very thrilled to just have you as a human being with this dedication and vision. And I'm not going to call you by your formal name because I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to wag a finger. I'm going to say, Allie McGregor, this has been a brilliant conversation. Uh, listeners, buy the book. It's a great book, Future Ready. And um, we look forward to more of the um, outcomes, projects, initiatives that you are going to lead um, in the property and buildings uh, space for WSP. Thanks so much, Carol. So keep up the brilliant work. Thank you for being a guest. Thanks so much. This podcast was brought to you by some amazing people, and I'd love to thank them. Anne Hundertmark and Kristen Kenny at Carol Cohn on Purpose, Pete Wright and Andy Nelson, our crack production team at True Story FM, and you, our listener. Please rate and rank us, because we really want to be as high as possible as one of the top business podcasts available so that we can continue exploring together the importance and the activation of authentic purpose. Thanks so much for listening.